Welcome to the Engage People podcast. I'm Paul McClatchy. You can join me and my team for conversations with the brains behind some of Ireland's best companies. Uh, we, we have a particular focus on what we call employability and what others call the employer value proposition. And that's really getting a good understanding of how the best companies attract the best people uh, to, to their firm to attract, develop and retain the best talent. Uh, so you're very welcome to today's episode. And we're delighted to have attracted Connor McCarthy. Uh, Connor is the founder of Emerald Airlines with an extensive background within the aviation airline space. Connor is the chair of Dublin Aerospace uh, and has a very interesting past, which includes um, built a strong track record based at Erlingus, Ryanair and AirAsia, uh, amongst others. So, Connor, fantastic for you to, to have joined us today. Thank you very much. Hi, Paul. Thank you. So if we if we set the scene about what we call sort of employability and what, what's your view about what makes a company stand out as an employer w- within the marketplace? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, and of course, uh, in today's environment, it's it's a huge issue for all of us, um, both employees and employers. Um, I, I think uh, number one for us always is a sense of integrity. Um, I think it's really important that people are, are proud to belong to a particular brand or company. Um, and integrity runs through that everywhere. Um, so it's not just a question of what you paint over the door or what slogans you put up on the the, you know, the staff restaurant. It's it's actually about do you live your values? Are you clear about your values? And do those values stand up to scrutiny in a modern world? Um, and that's that's a, a rapidly shifting line. So you, you just need to keep on top of that stuff. But, you know, you, you can get very complicated about it. You can get very involved in it. But at the end of the day, if you're true to yourself and your values and those values are ones that you're happy to print in the local newspaper, I think those are the type of things that can leave you as an attractive employer and a nice place to work. Yeah, very good. And w- w- one of the reasons why we're particularly keen to chat to you, Connor, um, and, and why we're delighted that, that, that we're speaking today, I would have noticed just in some of the work we were doing with uh, with Emerald Airlines that you're, you've been very proactive on LinkedIn in particular, um, very proactive in talking about the successes that you've achieved within Emerald, uh, you, you know, key new people joining the business at time to time, you know, communicating to the market where there's been challenges. W- was that a sort of a conscious decision on your side to be as proactive as that or did that come naturally to you? Um, the, I guess initially LinkedIn is a great resource and the more you engage with it, the more you get out of it. Um, it's like in, in a way we would have seen it as kind of Facebook for grownups. And um, we, we like the fact that it, it really does attract. Um, we, we're, we're, we see it very much as an employer brand platform where, as you say, employability becomes the issue. You you want to let people know what's going on in your business. Um, aviation, luckily, is still a very attractive business. Um, it's bounced back beyond all expectations after COVID. Um, this year, we'll probably see uh, us matching pre-COVID levels of traffic, which is an unbelievable recovery for an industry that was literally forcibly shut down by by uh, government actions through the pandemic um and yet it's bounced back uh, and now we're going through a phase in the industry where we have to rebuild balance sheets rebuild our our position in relation to cash and resilience but um it's an attractive business so people like to engage uh, even if they don't work in the airline industry they have a tendency to to follow it so linkedin is a great uh, opportunity for us there 
Yeah, very good. And tell me, so what, you know, the, the Emerald Airlines brand and the journey to date, uh, what was it like starting a, a new airline during a pandemic? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, insane. Absolutely insane. It's been it's been some roller coaster. Um, so uh, just to give a brief timeline, I suppose. Uh, so in around, we well, obviously, February 2020 was when we saw the pandemic really bite. And then... Um, the restrictions came in very quickly afterwards. Um, but around that early that summer in May 2020, um, we were um, told by Aer Lingus that they were going to put up their Aer Lingus regional franchise um, for grabs. Uh, and that franchise was due to expire. The current franchise agreement was due to expire in 2023. So they were advertising it early so they could select a partner and have that partner teed up. Um, of course, the incumbent was also part of the the candidates. Um, and we were one of, I think it was five different um, airlines that, that applied. Um, we were uh, a paper airline at the time, if you like. We were uh, on simply down as, as a, a management team with an idea and a business plan. Um, so, Throughout that summer, we we pulled that plan together. September, then we we made our application to Aer Lingus, and in November they selected us as their preferred candidate above the other uh, four. Uh, and the following February, we signed a binding MOU. Um, from then on, it was all systems go. We had to uh, get a headquarters, uh, refurbish it, make it fit for purpose, buy in all of the systems write all the manuals that an airline has to write and organize itself around, negotiate deals on everything from aircraft tooling to parts to the actual aircraft leases themselves, and also get into the business of not just hiring the management team, but hire everybody else that we needed to get the airline going. Um, and by September 21, uh, we received a brand new uh, AOC, aircraft operator certificate from the Irish Aviation Authority and we received uh, an operator's license from the CAR Commission for Aviation Regulation so that it authorized us essentially to sell tickets to the public and to operate the aircraft types that we had in our, our manuals so um, from then on we were getting ready for commercial flights and just under one year ago, it'll be a year next week we took our first commercial flight from Dublin to Donegal um, since then, we've introduced about two aircraft or uh, one aircraft every two weeks, um, which is really breakneck speed. Uh, when you think about it, you have to hire cabin crew, flight crew, engineers and all the support staff to go with that and rolled out the, the business last summer, the first summer since COVID, really. Um, and it's it's been uh it's been just a roller coaster, just trying to keep up with it. But uh, we've been really fortunate, fantastic team of people, a lot, a lot, a lot of really young people here. And the great thing about uh, employing young people is they don't know what's not possible or what is mm -hmm. possible. They just do. And we've had so many people who just do and they work together so well. So that's been the Probably the high point of the whole uh, right. last year is just watching what a, a new team of 
you know, empowered people can achieve when they work together. And that's been the plus. The the minus has been <laughs> how tired I feel some weeks and uh, how it it's it's just overwhelming. Uh, you're dealing with such a range of issues in the airline business. It's it's an amazing spectrum. But look, I'm in a happy place now. I think right. we've achieved a lot. Yeah, well, well done. And the one year anniversary now is uh, is, is is definitely should be uh, celebrated. So, so congratulations. On, on oh, we will. Front. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and ju- just in relation to you know the, the vision you had for the for the organisation, was it were you sort of you know sitting there maybe 2018 2019 you saw a vision basically because the path had been covered you know there was Air Aaron obviously Stobert uh, and there was clearly an opportunity there what what was sort of your gut feel in relation to what was going to make this work at the time Connor and, and maybe what have been the sort of the key successes learning experiences along the way what what what, what sort of been you know been the, the key pieces so far. Yeah, I've I've, I've, a, I've a long time uh, in the business uh, under my belt, and actually at one at one stage in my career, um, I was the chief executive of Aer Lingus Commuter, which is largely the precursor of Aer Lingus Regional. Um, yeah. We flew to the same cities. Um, we had a very extensive domestic network in Ireland at the time which has largely been uh, overhauled by the motorway network that we've built in the last uh, 30 years. Um, but notwithstanding that, we've the, the cross-channel routes we operate are largely those routes that we used to operate as Aer Lingus commuter. Um, so that was one um, job I had years ago within the, you know, the mothership of Aer Lingus um, that always attracted me back to running my own airline. I suppose the second thing is for the last uh, 23 years, I when I left Ryanair, I, I set up Plane Consult, which was a, a business that largely uh, advised people who were setting up their own airlines or restructuring an airline. And we specialized in the low cost space, the low cost carriers. And uh, that's where we got to set up airlines like Air Asia and Jetstar in Australia and Viva Aerobus in Mexico, etc. So uh, as an advisor or consultant, um, you know, we're sometimes accused of borrowing someone's watch to tell them the time. So mm. uh, that was something I wanted to do was uh, to to set up my own airline and to follow my own advice. Um, so. Where, where we thought there was a big advantage was in, first of all, aligning with a great brand like Aer Lingus. Secondly, was getting into a, a route network such as the Aer Lingus uh, regional route network, which can feed Aer Lingus's hub at Dublin and can also expand into other cities on the island, such as Belfast, where we're now the largest carrier in Belfast city. And, you know, to basically use the learnings of the low cost model, i.e. keep it simple, um, try and use one aircraft type, uh, try and use a uniform approach um, to everything. And we've done that in Emerald. So we've used a lot of the lessons that the low cost industry has taught the airline business, um, but we're using it in the regional space. Um, and that's why all our aircraft are 72 seaters. They all have two cabin crew, they all have the same engines, the same avionics. Um, so we're, we're basically, when anyone talks about a plane in the building here, we know we're talking about an ATR-72. And it's the only specialism that our engineers have uh, or are required to have. They have plenty of specialisms, but, you know, it's the aircraft we focus on. Um, 
and and that was the vision really um to mm. use that to combine it with a great brand like Aer Lingus we also have a an alliance with British Airways where their code is on all our flights so we've got distribution and brand awareness through those giants and yet we have a very agile small airline which it, it does things sensibly and simply here in in Dublin yeah, very good. And my understanding with the turboprops is they're they're. Uh, am I right in saying they're more environmentally friendly as well? Yeah, they have a they have a fantastic carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you compare them to an equivalent jet of their size, they burn about half the fuel. Um, they will burn about one third of the fuel of a seven three seven, and. You know, when you think about that, uh, on top of that, we have, you know, it, it's got really good credentials in terms of it, how light it is. Um, but also, you know, if, if you take an example, people often, um, you know, try to compare airline travel with road travel. Um, so if you take our route to Donegal, which is about a four and a half hour drive, um, you fly that route on an ATR-72. The ATR-72 burns about two and a half litres per seat for every 100 kilometers of travels. Um, if you take an average, you know, family uh, saloon diesel car, uh, you're probably looking at something that's burning over twice that amount, six to seven liters per 100 kilometers. So not only are you able to travel all the way from Donegal to Dublin in about 40 minutes by air, but you're burning less than half the carbon. Um, because most journeys, let's face it, are one person in a car on their own. There's not, you know, yeah. the average journey is probably 1.3 people. Um, so we've we much lower carbon footprint and you don't use all of the huge carbon footprint that's there in building roads and bridges. Um, so, it, it, you know, there are cases where regional flying is much more uh, environmentally friendly than driving. Yeah, very good. And is is that the sort of the medium long term plan then to to work sort of exclusively with Aer Lingus with turboprops, or would would you see yourselves becoming involved maybe with other airlines down the line, or it maybe depends on on where the demand is? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I I, I suppose uh, there does where we are at the moment. This summer we will have seventeen aircraft in service, all ATR seventy twos, all in Aer Lingus colours. And uh, we, you know, we'll be the exclusive operator of Aer Lingus Regional Franchise. Um, we do work within the IAG group. So you have other brands there such as Iberia and British Airways and Welling. Um, so whether or not we expand our offering or work for some of those other carriers remains to be seen. At the moment, we're really busy just in our second year of operations now of having a really good year. Last summer, with the condition of the airports and with the employment market the way it was, there was a huge you know, gap between customer expectations and the actual delivery. So flights were delayed, bags were being lost, et cetera. Um, and we got caught up in some of that as well because a lot of our traffic is transitioning from major hubs. Um, so this year, you know, I think we're just focused on um, operational excellence. Yeah. We have our own ground handling unit now in Dublin. We have our own Emerald catering unit. So we couldn't even get catering on our aircraft last summer because nobody could supply us. They just didn't have the staff. Yeah. Whereas we've just in the last four weeks introduced our own onboard sales and we'll be able to introduce duty free now in the next few weeks. So that all helps the customer experience right. and helps our bottom line. 
Yeah, brilliant stuff. Um, so if we were looking at maybe the, the, the branding side of things, and so I, I, you know, on a sort of a daily basis, speak to uh, founders, managing directors, CEOs of businesses, and uh, more often than not, there's a conversation about, you know, how, how significantly the sort of the employer-employee dynamic has changed over the last five or 10 years. Um, you know, in the past, basically, if someone, you, you had plenty of choice when it came to hiring, and if someone got a job, they were lucky to get a job, you know, and, 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 and that's sort of how it worked, whereas uh, there, there can be sort of a little bit of the opposite. Um, and we, we, we try, try and coach people, uh, you know, when they're seeking an individual, when they're seeking a role, uh, you know, to have a sort of a healthy outlook. But there is an element of what, you know, what can this company do for me uh, from, from an employee perspective? What, what's your view? I mean, you, you've worked with some really strong brands over the years globally, um, Connor. And anything that you've sort of learned about branding and attracting talent, maybe pre-Emerald that really stuck with you sort of along the way or sort of inspired you in terms of some of the choices you made for, for, for Emerald? Um, so a few things. Well, the first thing is we're we're largely an employer in the Irish market and I've worked in so many countries over the last 25 years um, that the one thing I would say is the Irish, the average Irish employee is a, an amazing resource to get hold of. Um, and no matter where I've gone in the world, if uh, I come across Irish engineers, Irish pilots, Irish cabin crew, you just you just know you're onto a good thing um, because there, there's such a good work ethic here in Ireland. And it's it's a really it's a really great market to hire the best talent. So we're very fortunate there. Um, so I, I would. I would not worry about where I'm starting from. The second thing I, I think I've I've learned over the years is, you know, you you can you can be an employer of choice. It doesn't mean that you have to um be, you know, particularly, you know, uh what would I say, you know, worshipping of of the employee and the employee's experience. Employees are more reasonable than that. They they actually what they want is is a place that challenges them, a role that challenges them, empowerment. That is really empowerment. In other words, you give them a job to do, you give them some pretty clear guidance, you train them well, and then you measure them. And people like to be measured. And I don't mean this in in a kind of a, a hamster wheel way. I mean, people like to get feedback. They like to know that they're doing a good job and they like to hear it. Um, Yes, if you're going to have to, you know, offer some some criticism, make sure you do it in in a productive, constructive way. So when you engage with people and you you think that there's aspects of the the job they've done that could be improved upon, well, just make sure you you have at least a three to one ratio because people don't take criticism very well. None of us yeah. do, uh, and so you you have to make sure it's seen in a, in a constructive light. It's not about it's about coaching, if you like, as as opposed to criticism, um, and and I think. There, there are two things I learned. Make sure you ask enough of your people. Um, I see people who leave jobs because they feel underutilized. Mm. Um, so a classic example is uh, in Dublin Aerospace, we have a very challenging apprenticeship with very high hurdle rates in terms of, you know, wh whether you qualify because you're working on aircraft. There's no room for error. And um, so we, we, we demand a high standard and, and we generally get that, which is great. Um, during the pandemic, a lot of people moved to other industries um, and those other industries would be extremely competitive in terms of wages, in terms of conditions, in terms of the, the little trinkets they add in, the frills. 
Um, and yet we've had a huge number of those people returning to aviation because in aviation, it's a very demanding and it, it is is not a forgiving uh, trade in that you have to be right. You have to be sure. And it, it, it demands the best people. And a lot of those people who left us to go to other industries felt that they were actually losing those skills in, in other industries. Yeah. And so we, we've been delighted to see the, the you know, we had the great resignation. I think we're seeing the great return in aviation yeah. because it's in people's blood. It's been in my blood for 45 years. I left school at 16, became an apprentice and never looked back. Um, and I, I see a lot of people who are joining the industry straight from school. And, and that is one of the few industries that still enables you to rise to the very top without having had to go to college, without having to go to, you know, to third level or even fourth level. Um, and and I think that's a good thing. Um, and I'm a big I'm a big big uh, fan of that. You know, of traineeships and apprenticeships. Yeah. And learning on the job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things you touched upon there about you know what we call sort of the motivation for leaving, and it would be quite common we'd be speaking to a company who's hiring, and I'd be looking at a CV and a track record. They're always interested here as to why why someone has made a move. Um, it's a fairly common theme, and and it, you you could be forgiven for thinking that people just move for financial reasons. There's always an element to that. I think people are looking for a power or a slight nudge up, but it's very often challenge. You know, it's really looking to take that next step up. It's keeping that sort of career momentum. Uh, when you lose career momentum. You know, it, it's um, it, it takes a lot of drive and energy to get back on track, basically, and get, to get into organisations who are going to challenge and, as you say, basically have to ask you to fulfil your potential. Um, but and money sort of aside to that, to be honest with you, and it's it's uh, I, I would say the other pieces then the relationship with their boss is obviously a key piece. It's not something that people always speak up about, um, you know, in interviews. I mean, t- tell me, so you, you're obviously. You mentioned the job in the aerospace there, which you're, you're the, obviously the chair at the moment. I know I know you've uh, lots of other sort of board uh, roles. What what do you look for, Connor, from your leaders? If you're picking out sort of two or three key traits, you know, so you've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the, that level of commitment and the clarity piece you like to sort of instill. What, what, what are the traits you look for from people? Yeah, and and just to just to go back on that, I I think there's a there's a great saying doing the rounds, which is that people don't leave companies, they leave managers. Mm. Um, so you know if you've got good managers, even in the worst companies, good managers can hold on to great people. Yeah, and some of the best companies, bad managers can force good people to to leave unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, so you really do have to manage your managers and you still you you have to also give them challenges and give them development opportunities so that they feel they're they're improving in their potential. And the fact that they got to a management position alone means that they they have a, a career aspiration that it is important to them. Um, so what, what we'd look for, I, I think that integrity word comes through again. Integrity, because it, it, it encompasses a huge amount of, you know, honesty, uh, you know, uh, an ability to communicate clearly. And also, uh, as people will be watching that manager, you know, uh, do they live up to those values? Are, are they are they true to the values that they espouse? So, you know, uh, that old saying, do do what I say, not what I do. Well, if that's the case, you're in trouble. You know, if you've if you have someone who's, who spouts about, you know, working hard or something and, and then, you know, they spend most of their time drinking coffee and having chats and that, you know, you're, you're wondering, well, it's not much of a work ethic there. So um, I think that that's the most important one. Um, communications is, is key. Um, but also uh, 
empathy, you know, a need to empathize with people in their role and say, what does this person expect of the job? They're doing a good job where they are. Okay. But they obviously want what what are what are their wants and needs and do they feel like uh, the communication is working both ways you know uh, can they tell you why they're they're unhappy with something or can they communicate about what they would like to see the business move towards um and it's to create that open environment where people feel um you know let's say fearless about it or they don't yeah. feel intimidated that they can express their views without being pigeonholed as a complainer or a whiner uh, or as, as a, a malcontent um, yeah. and it's to encourage it's to encourage that and and also you look across your your employee group and and you'd see the team there's some people who are quite outspoken there's some people who are quiet um with the quiet people you have to watch the body language you have to watch what it is they nod to what it is they they say they may say very little but when they do speak you know it's very important to listen um because there's some people will always speak up yeah and let you know where they stand but uh, there's other people who if they if they were to say uh something uh you you have, almost has to listen twice as well twice yeah. as well yeah and in terms of building the culture, you know, over the last year, and, and it, you know, it sounds like um, it's been hard work, but as you said, very rewarding. In terms of sort of intentionally, you know, getting people together, because everyone was from a different background, different companies, I'm sure, you know, some different nationalities in there, different ways of working. How, how did you unify it? How did you build the vision together? I know, obviously, so we mentioned about LinkedIn, maybe to the outside world. I'm sure that was useful for, you know, your, your sort of existing employees. But what, what other sort of tools did you use? Was it cups of coffee? Was it get together on a Friday morning? What 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 what's this worked well for you? Yeah, we I, we we just uh, we were so busy getting the day job done, and you know, in one case, we almost forgot to celebrate our inaugural flight. We were so busy organising everything, the inaugural flight was just another day uh, when we flew to Donegal. We it was only three weeks beforehand that we said, "Oh my God, hang on, we've got this." first commercial flight coming up um, mm. we have to make we have to make a celebration of it and it was it was yeah. a friend of mine who said to me so what are we doing for the inaugural where are we going and uh, so we pulled a, a celebration together there at fairly short notice um and that probably is the hallmark of a lot of the things we we've done at short notice we you know we might uh, we have a, a weekly management get together on a monday and you know we we try to single out items to celebrate um, we have an above and beyond uh, award system within the staff group and that's where parts uh, members of the team can um, endorse another member of the team for something that they've done that's above and beyond the call of duty and it could be just somebody who's a pleasure to work with every day who comes to work with a smile and who who makes everyone's day a better day even when operations are difficult um, or it could be somebody who just went beyond the call of duty to help a customer. And we've had so many cases of that where, you know, we, we would maybe have a number of elderly customers where cabin crew have gone and literally ensured that they got to their bus and got the bus to, you know, the, the town they were going to that night and way beyond what was expected and probably delayed their own getting home by over an hour. Um, and you see that care and you try to recognize it and put it under lights so that everybody can realize this is a nice thing to do. Um, 
So we, we would basically try to celebrate small celebrations like that uh, when we have an event coming up like next week is our first anniversary of our first commercial flight. We'll do something both Dublin and Belfast and we'll have a little celebration, maybe a couple of prizes for staff just to highlight the, the award uh, or the, the event. Um, things like that. Nothing too dramatic. Um, you know, we, we've had a couple of staff nights out, Christmas parties, that sort of thing. Um but again, it's just to give people the opportunity to to meet outside of the working environment. And actually, that that does help a lot, particularly, you know, where people are in a hard charging atmosphere. The chance to go out and relax over a drink and, you know, just simply have, have a, a relaxed night out, outside of work is actually a, a very good thing. It just yeah. helps people unwind a little bit, get to know people they wouldn't otherwise have known in the business and chat to them and come in the following week and say, do you know, so-and-so, they're really interesting. I hadn't, hadn't had a chance to chat to them before, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the aviation space in Ireland, it, it, it you know, it, it's a big sector. Um, and, it you know, it, a lot of us, when we did any sort of business-related uh, qualification college, when he did strategy, it was Southwest Airlines. I, a lot of us <laughs> would remember it. And then while we were probably reading that, then Ryanair itself was obviously getting up and running and, you know, like them or loathe them. I, I, I know you you, you, um, you you obviously had, you know, worked with Ryanair for a period of time, but it's, it's a significant international business. It's sort of globally known, um, you know, a, a, as an organization. I know Dublin Airport is a significant European airport, you know, in terms of the, the numbers of people who pass through. And I think a lot of us, you know, maybe the fact that we're an island, we, we a lot of us travel, uh, pe- people travel frequently. I know during COVID, basically a lot of people felt, you know, a little bit restricted on that front. Just from an employer perspective, what, what, what would you say to maybe someone who is in a functional role, maybe be it sort of finance, it could be HR, marketing, tech. What, what sort of kept you in the sector, Connor? I mean, clearly you're very passionate about the, the aviation space, the airline space. What, what, what's kept you sort of interested in that area? Um, I, I suppose the one thing is it's it's such a challenging uh, sector to be in. Like you could be in a lot of other industries and if you get two out of three things right, you're going to you're going to do OK. And if you get three out of three things right, you're going to be super profitable in the airline industry. You have to get seven out of seven things right just to survive. So it sounds like a bit of masochism, really, that we beat ourselves up a lot. But it's such a challenging industry. It's almost intoxicating that you're you're constantly trying to fine tune, but at the same time, trying to keep it simple. And the, the, the costs of failure are huge and the rewards of success are relatively modest. So, you know, you're you're on a tipping point all the time of getting it right. Um but you can't afford to, to get it wrong. So you can you can pass a certain thing, but if you fail on something, it, it becomes very obvious very quickly. So uh, you've got to get everything right. And, and I suppose that's the challenge. And the more I'm in the industry, the, the more that challenge uh, exists because there is no single formula for, for getting it right. You've got to work at it every day. So you mentioned Ryanair, like a really impressive business, really well run, uh, super disciplined management team and an absolutely, you know, tremendous competitor to have in our market. So mm. we have to know where we stand in relation to things like customer service, uh, our friendliness, our price point, our unit costs, because if we don't get our positioning right, um, we'll be punished very, very heavily by the likes of Ryanair in our markets. So it, it's it's good from that point of view, it keeps us on our toes. Um, 
and it enables us to to really focus on what it is we're going to be good at um because otherwise we're, we're just going to get steamrollered um yeah. so i guess that's that's the challenge and 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 that keeps us at it it's if it was too easy we might get a bit bored at it and and mm. Yeah, you know, we might we might not really engage for as much. So you have to have that challenge to to push you. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no fear of being too easy. Uh, but the sounds of things <laughs> with, the, with 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 the seven out of seven. And um, ju- just a final few questions, Connor. Be re- re- really interested to hear about you know your your um your, your views on some of the pieces we've discussed so far. Mm. If we look maybe a little bit more at the employee mindset, and and we, we we like to give people the best chance of success, you know, when they're pursuing a new challenge and so forth. It, it's really up there with you know the most important decisions that an individual can make, you know, from a career perspective and their own sort of happiness, fulfillment. Mm. Um, if you, if you were looking back to your own career and what 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 sort of advice or, or was there a turning point for you from whether it be from a leadership perspective or a career decision that you made that for good or bad made all the difference and maybe what would you say to the Connor of you know 10 15 20 years ago uh, what you know in terms of the key piece that you picked up that have been most most of most benefit that you might be able to pass on um okay well I, I suppose the first might be in your early career like you you work you 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 believe you're working very hard and most people actually do work hard um not because you have to because but because you want to uh, and that's usually uh, an inner drive as opposed to you know looking outside of yourself it's it's where you want to get your qualifications where you want to be the best at what you do and then you're 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 you know hoping that somebody notices and maybe gives you your first promotion. Um, what I say to people uh, who are in that role is, even though you might have been doing that job really well, and you're waiting for that opportunity to knock on your door, um, they don't always arrive when when you think they should. Um, in fact, most of the time they don't. So you can go through a year, two or three years of relative frustration where you're thinking, God, I'm, I'm working so hard at this and I'm producing the, the the results that were asked. And, you know, people have said you're doing really well, but I'm not I'm not seeing um, I'm not seeing any extra promotions come my way uh, or money come my way. Um, I would say to people not to not to let that frustration get into them because you can't you can't know or you can't particularly drive when an opportunity might present itself. Uh, so that'd be the first thing that, you know, don't get frustrated. If you're doing a good job well, there is a lot of satisfaction to be gained in that and challenge yourself to to do it better. Challenge yourself to you know, figure out, is there something else? Is there a different approach? We see it with professional golfers who are playing off scratch and yet they go away and completely relearn their their putting or their drive. And I'm not a golfer, so, uh, but I can imagine how difficult is that for someone who's got to being a scratch golfer to go away and completely relearn a core part of their, their game. Um, so, you know, sporting analogies work very well in business. And, and I would say, you know, don't be afraid to say, yeah, you know, this job I've been doing all the time. Is there a different way I could do it? I, could I revolutionize it? And sometimes that, that can really bring great results. Um, second thing I would say is opportunities when they do come may not come at a time that suits you. Um, but be, you know, I would actually be saying, um, excuse me, um, Look at the opportunity and say, okay. So, for example, um, 
I was working with Qantas in Australia in 2009 um, and I was commuting out, out and back to Australia. The family were still here when SR Technics decided to close their hangars here in Dublin. And that was where I originally started with Aer Lingus as an apprentice. So the opportunity uh, arose for somebody to buy the tools and assets of SR Technics here in Dublin. Um, I was very busy. I was traveling to Mexico, traveling to Australia, traveling to Malaysia. Uh, I, I was earning plenty of money. It was managing the time in my life. That was the big challenge for me. Uh, you know, time with the family, time at the business, not biting off too much. And yes, um, this opportunity came up and it was at the back of our, or just at the start, I guess, of our terrible uh, recession in 2008-9, where the property prices collapsed and the domestic market collapsed. So I I felt at the time, God, they're going to close that place down. Um, and I actually, even though the timing wasn't right, I, I decided to grab the opportunity to uh, set up Dublin Aerospace. And um, as well as that, I decided not to try and buy the business as a going concern because it had already been tried four times and had failed four times. So why would I buy it as a going concern only to try and do the same again? Because the people that went before me weren't stupid. They, they, they knew what they needed to do. They just couldn't get it done. Um, so we allowed, uh, you know, the, we bought the business and the tools uh, of the business and we took leases on the hangars and we started with 18 people in 2009. And today, Dublin Aerospace Group has almost 500 people. Um, but that's that was an opportunity that really it came at a time when it didn't suit me. But at the same time, I, I knew that it might not come again. And I would also have huge regrets had this business that gave me my start in aviation collapsed and never restarted because to gain the approvals and the skills that were there at the time SRT closed would, would be almost impossible without taking it on fairly fresh. So I had to make a decision to go and do it. Um, and similarly with uh, Emerald Airlines, when Aer Lingus put up its franchise, um, there wasn't going to be another opportunity for another 10 years. And, you know, I'm 61 this month. So, uh, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have been around to to do it in 10 years time or, well, I, I might be pushing a Zimmer frame or something, but I don't think I'd be starting an airline. So you, you, you the opportunity doesn't always come when when it suits you, but you should be ready uh, to to take it and take the risk. Um, and that would be my final point. Never be afraid to go out on your own. Um I had worked with Aer Lingus for 18 years. Then I worked with Ryanair for about five years. Um, but I was what I was shy of 40. And I just knew that um, it was time for me to try and do something on my own. It, it became harder to work, you know, uh, in a in a restrictive environment without be fully able to express myself. So I just knew that going out on my own was the right direction, even though it meant I'd be traveling, I'd be away a bit more, uh, you know, a bit of a home bird, uh, never moved, uh, you know, out of Ireland, really. Um, but I, I still knew that that was the, the right thing for me from a career and a personal per point of view. And I think you'd say anybody who has done that will will always say that they, they never regretted it. So take the risks, you know, but measure yeah. the risks. Just just know what you're heading for. Don't don't take unquantified risks, but do take them, even with your career. 
you clearly trusted your instincts at these particular times, you know, where, where you had to make a decision, um, which, which was obviously, you know, served you very well. Uh, just a final piece, we, we might finish. We, we started obviously on the employer branding piece and, and, and maybe sort of um, uh, sort of finish on that piece. I mean, there's a lot at the moment now, obviously, um, since sort of COVID is, is uh, hopefully, a, you know, sort of a thing of the past or, you know, in the starting the form it was. So some companies have a preference to get people into the office five days a week. Other pe- other companies uh, are maybe taking a more relaxed view. We, we hear so many different things. What, what's been your take on it so far? Or, or is there something you find has worked particularly well from Emerald or does it depend on the function with, within the business? It's it very much function dependent, that's for sure. Um, our engineers... Uh, have no choice but to work on the aircraft. Um, yeah. Our pilots and cabin crew have no choice but to actually fly the aircraft and and you know serve the customer. Um, so that's where it starts. And and most of our business is about supporting uh, everything that supports the customer. So if you take it right down to that level, our job is to support the pilots and the cabin crew in their day to day work, and everything we do is around that. Um, there are some functions that can be worked uh, remotely. Um, so where those functions can be worked remotely, we would take a, a more flexible view. And typically we'd allow for um, some time, you know, in the week where the person can work from home, assuming that they're they're able to, you know, justify that. And, and they are saying, look, I'm going to work from home tomorrow. I'm going to get the, the budget done. And, yeah. you know, if I get a day at this at home, I'll get it done much quicker. And in Makes fact, sense, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, people set themselves a, a target and say, look, I'll do that. Um, yeah. And we have some functions where people can comfortably work one, two days a week from home. Um, but even in functions which could be almost totally remote, uh, we would not be in, you know, in favor of allowing 100% remote working. And the reason for that is that we're all part of a team here and you don't build a culture with everybody sitting in their, their living room, um, you know, with the laptop. Um, you, you build a culture where people are working together. And of course, somebody who can work remotely is great. But if that person with all that skill and experience was to leave you, how are you going to have somebody step into the role? Yeah. Um, so there, there needs to be the the collaborative work. Uh, there needs to be the communication that that will happen almost informally, uh, even body language, even getting together around a table uh, to discuss things. The discussion may take a, an unusual direction, but it will never have taken that direction if you're all just sat on teams. Um, yeah. So we, we use teams quite a lot. Uh, we use a lot of remote working tools. Um, I've recently been able to get myself uh, disciplined about sending emails outside of work hours. So there, I've found that little button in uh, Outlook that enables me to schedule uh, emails. So, you know, it might suit me to write an email on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday night, but yeah. I'll schedule it not to arrive uh, until eight o'clock on a Monday, which, you know, enables people to have, you know, literally free time because that that's one of the downsides of the remote working culture yeah. is that you know some some people automatically or you know intuitively expect you to be always on yeah. um and that's that's not a great place to be either because we need yeah. people to be well rested even if they they're not flying the aircraft we want all our people to to have a bit of disconnect and time to themselves so that way they can enjoy their work if the work is yeah. haunting them it's it's doesn't be it becomes unenjoyable after a while 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I look. I, I think I think you've explained that really well because um, you know it, it's not a black and white discussion. Uh, you know there are individuals that come and they say they're seeking X and Y, and, and you know they're entitled to pursue um, you know what, what, whatever sort of suits them. But to me, it has to work for both parties. And exactly like you say, you know when your work is part of a management team, as part of a group, you know a lot of the the, the quality meeting or you know they can be in person, and then maybe someone over a period of time builds up a good level of confidence and trust. As you say, you know if they can save a couple of hours commute and get stuck into uh, you know sort of detailed work then that you know that that can work well um so i just just to finish up connor i'd like to say thanks very much congratulations on your uh, your success at emerald so far it's been a, been a really exciting journey and um, all of the piece we discussed you know i would say keep up the good work you know certainly from an employee or when we're introducing emerald to to um uh, to, you know to potential employees and i'm sure when people are looking for roles it really stands out when there is that presence on the line of LinkedIn that they don't have to look very far to see a very active, you know, um, founder who, you know, who, who's proactive about, you know, the culture by design piece, which you've discussed. So th- thanks very much for your time and, and, and best wishes for 2023.